The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few. And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Will those who are saved be few? was the question this poor man asked Jesus. And he probably expected or hoped that Jesus would say, no, 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 not at all. Everyone is saved. Everyone gets to enjoy glory. Everyone will be welcome into my kingdom. That is, after all, what our flesh wants above all else. No questions asked. Free entrance into the kingdom of God, your sins in tow, nothing changed. That's what sinful human flesh wants. This conversation happened in Luke chapter 13, just a, a chapter before our lesson today from Luke 14. Last week I told you how much the context matters. Why is it that Jesus tells the parable that he tells today? Why is it that this man with whom Jesus is eating says, Blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. Why does that happen? Well, it really begins back here with this conversation. Will those who are saved be few. How does Jesus reply? 
He doesn't say, don't worry about it, it's all going to be okay. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. He gives a hard answer to a difficult question, a hard answer that really, doubtlessly, made everyone there uncomfortable, and I hope, I hope, that it makes you uncomfortable as well. Part of the point of coming to church is to become uncomfortable, to learn to be uncomfortable with our sin and with our flesh, to feel discomfort in all of the ways that we have trusted in ourselves, that we have hoped in ourselves, that we have put our faith anywhere but God. We must become uncomfortable. Otherwise, why would we ever strive to enter through the narrow gate? Why would we ever gladly hear the words of Jesus, who warns that many will say, look, we sat down and ate and drank with you. We went to church all the time. We had communion with you. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. If that doesn't make you uncomfortable, I don't know what would. Now, Jesus doesn't make us uncomfortable just for the sake of it, just because he enjoys being some sort of a nitpicker. I'll explain a little bit later the goal, the purpose of this discomfort. It is for our salvation. But first, notice this. This is the context for the parable Jesus tells today. Jesus was at dinner in the house of a Pharisee, and it was from the get-go a very awkward dinner. They invited him not because they wanted him as their guest, not because they wanted to show him hospitality, but so they could keep an eye on him, and so they could catch him in his words, so they could trip him up and finally have something to hold against him. Of course, it never worked. No one is ever able to trip Jesus up, and when they try, when they try to trap him in his words, he's the one who traps them. And that is exactly what happens today. Jesus traps them. They make the dinner uncomfortable by conspiring against Jesus, but Jesus is very easy, <laughs> very easy when it comes to discomfort. If you want to make him uncomfortable, guess what he's going to do? He's going to ramp it up. He's going to make you more comfortable than you tried to make him. And so he comes to this dinner party and he starts to look around and he says, why have you invited all of these friends, all of these wealthy people, all of these folks who you know will invite you back? When you throw a party, you know who you should invite? The poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind. People who will never repay the invitation. That's how you should throw a party. And look at all of you, Jesus says. Look at all of you taking the best places at the party. When you go to a party, what you should do is you should take the least place. You should sit in the lowest place. You should stop making such a big deal out of yourself. That made them uncomfortable. It's like walking up to somebody and poking them right where it hurts. Can you imagine? Jesus would have made a terrible Minnesotan. You know this, right? He doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> he doesn't know what subjects are off limits. Can you imagine? Going, you get invited over to your friend's house, and you look around just trying to find the thing, that they're, the elephant in the room that they don't want to talk about, and that, that is what you talk about. That's exactly what Jesus does. He would not have fit in, and that's what made him so glorious. If he had tried to fit in, he could never have saved us. But instead, he was not concerned about being acceptable or accepted. He was concerned about your salvation. And that's why he goes. That's why he goes to the house of the Pharisee, knowing that they're conspiring against him. He goes because he wants to save them, because he wants to save you. Will those who are saved be few? Perhaps. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. 
But if those who are saved will be few, it will not be for lack of trying on God's part. It will not be because Jesus did not love them or did not show up for them or did not give himself to them. It will instead be because they rejected him. And so Jesus is here in the house of the Pharisees doing everything in his power to save them. And that includes making them very, very uncomfortable. He sees a man who is ill, who is sick, and he heals him. But before he heals him, he says to the Pharisees, Hey guys, you know you love the Sabbath and you love keeping the Sabbath to a T and even going above and beyond so that God will love you more. You know how you like to do that. Which is better, to heal somebody on the Sabbath or to let them remain ill? The Pharisees couldn't answer the question. Jesus pokes them right where it hurts because they, of course, did not love. They did not love their brother. They loved themselves. But Jesus loves them all. So he heals the man and shows them what God's grace looks like. Now somebody chimes in at this moment, thinking they've got things figured out. Somebody chimes in, blessed is that man who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't agree with him. He doesn't look to him and say, hey, buddy, you got it. Way to go. Nice answer. Finally, somebody understands. Instead, Jesus tells a parable and pushes things even further. And the point of the parable is basically to say, if that's true, if those who eat at table, who eat bread with Jesus in the kingdom of God, if they are truly blessed, then why on earth have you rejected my invitation? Why on earth have you made excuses instead of coming and sitting with me? Why on earth have you chosen worldly things when I'm offering you heavenly things? If it's true that those are blessed who eat bread in the kingdom of God, why won't you have it? Now, this parable is stunning, and you can see right through it. You can see how ridiculous these people are. These aren't kind of spur-of-the-moment emergency situations. These are, honest-to-goodness, fake excuses. These people who were invited to the master's party, they knew the party was being planned for them. They knew that everything was prepared. They knew that they were invited, and they had already agreed to come. And then when the day comes for them to show up at the party, they have their excuses ready to go. Nah. I need to go see about some property that I bought. I bought some oxen. I have to check on them. I just got married, which, frankly, sounds like a pretty good excuse, doesn't it? I just got married. Would you please excuse me from this party? I need to go spend some time with my wife. Just goes to show that the basic excuses are really the same sorts of things we talked about last week. Money and marriage. These are two of the most common reasons that people give for not entering into God's feast for staying away, because they love the things of this life, the stuff that they can buy with their money, or because they love the relationships of this life, father, mother, sister, brother, husband, wife, or children, they love them more than they love God. And so when the moment of truth comes and the invitation is presented, would you please come and rejoice in my gifts, come and receive my kingdom, they say, no, please, just excuse me for today because I have something I love more. I have something I'd rather be doing. It's heartbreaking. It's really tragic to imagine people saying that to Jesus. And yet, that is how most people regard Jesus. Sure, it's a nice, gracious invitation. Come and dine at his table. Come and be blessed by him. But really, I have other things that are more important right now. Let me do those things. Let me enjoy those things. Let me bless myself right now. You can bless me later, Jesus. I'll have your words later, Jesus. 
I'll come into your kingdom later when it is fitting for me in my own time. Those folks who reject the words of Jesus, and look, this isn't just about rejecting him outwardly, saying, I don't believe in Jesus, but this is rejecting him in our hearts. Hearing his word and setting it aside. Hearing his offer of forgiveness and saying, I don't really need that for all of my sins. Hearing him say, you need to be fed day in and day out, and I will do it. I give you my word in abundance and saying instead, I have other things that feed me and nourish me. Let me spend my time on those. I don't know how any Christian can survive, but by the word of God, day in and day out. But by the word of God, we are rejecting God's invitation for some other thing, some worldly thing, some thing that will go away, that will not last. What these people did not reckon with, what we so often do not reckon with, is that rejecting the invitation is not just missing out on a party, but it is, in fact, rejecting the host. What Jesus wants to give to you, what he wanted to give to these people, was his whole self, his whole life, eternity with him, as opposed to eternal death. He's not holding anything back, and so rejecting the invitation is rejecting him. We like to say, when we turn people down, we like to say, well, don't take it personally, right? But rejecting this invitation is personal. To say no thank you to Jesus and his word is to throw your life away, the life that God wants to give you. Now, you can see how Jesus is deliberately making people uncomfortable. He must. That, what's, that is what makes for a good preacher. So just know that every time you get really uncomfortable, it's because I'm a really good preacher. <laughs> That's what makes for a good preacher. I should do it more often, actually. (laughs) I should make you more uncomfortable. The reason for discomfort, though, is not, it's not like when our little German shepherd puppy really kind of like nips at our golden retriever, our eight-year-old golden retriever, and annoys her to death. She can't stand it. He's not just picking a fight with somebody just for the fun of it. He's not just being annoying. Like when somebody gives backhanded compliments just so you have nothing to say in response to them. It's much more like this. It's much more like when one of the kids has a splinter in their foot. And in order to remove that splinter, there have to be lots of tears and screaming and struggle. There must be. Because as far as that kid is concerned with the splinter in their foot, this is torture. You're doing this just because you hate me. But in fact, every parent knows that removing that splinter, as painful as it is, is necessary. It must happen. And what happens if you don't remove that splinter? Or what happens if that that joint that is out of place or that bone that is broken is not properly set? You begin your whole life long to limp around, making adjustments for it, being uncomfortable, making things worse, in fact. So that's what it's like for Jesus. He sees sees us all walking around with limps. He says, let me set that bone for you. Let me fix that. Let me take that splinter out of your foot. And we're all like, no, I'm fine. It's okay. I can get by. I'll just put my weight on my other foot. And Jesus says, no, that's not good. In fact, that's going to break you in the end. You're meant to walk on two feet. You're meant to be whole, so hold still. Hold still while I set this injury. While I re-break this badly healed break. While I mend you and bind up what is injured so that you can be whole. That is what Jesus is doing. He comes into the house of the Pharisees, and here's what he risks. He risks being called all kinds of dreadful names. You can imagine what they said about him. That guy, he can't just keep his mouth shut. He can't stop talking about things that we don't want to talk about. He won't just leave us alone and let us be. We've got this figured out. 
He's awful. He's unloving. He's unmerciful. He's unkind. That's what they would have said about him. He risks all of that so that he can bind their injuries and mend their broken hearts. Proverbs tells us, our Proverbs lesson this morning tells us about the different reactions that people might have to wisdom, which is what Jesus has on offer for all of us. Wisdom that comes from God. There are two kinds of reactions. One of them is to scoff, which is a great word. I think that really is best used in this context. It's kind of like somebody says something true to you and you just roll your eyes and you act as if it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. Perhaps you can see in your own heart that reaction to some of the things that Jesus says. That can't possibly be true. He can't possibly be asking that of me. He can't possibly mean what he is saying. And so you scoff. That's one way to react to wisdom. But only a fool would react that way. On the other hand, those who are wise, those who have been enlightened by God's word, those who have the Holy Spirit, hear the wisdom of God, they hear God's word, and even when their flesh chafes against it, even when they feel uncomfortable because of it, even when they can't stand it, they rejoice because they know that now I am growing wiser still. Grow in wisdom. That's what Jesus wants for us. For us to grow in wisdom so that we can receive his gifts. And the beginning of wisdom is this. The fear of the Lord. All of those things are what Jesus is trying to deliver to his people. That's what he's trying to give to these Pharisees. That's what he's trying to give to anyone who has ears to hear. My grace and mercy, Jesus says, are beyond measure. This invitation is grander than anything you've ever seen. Look, everything has been prepared. That's about the cross of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died to pour out his blood for you, to forgive all of your sins to give you free access to his eternal kingdom, to give you free access to the bread that you can eat in his kingdom for eternity, to give you free access to a life of holiness and righteousness and goodness, of perfect love, free from sin forever. It's all been prepared for you. Nothing has been withheld. Nothing is lacking. Have you ever been over to somebody's house and you just marvel at that they thought of everything? They make your time so comfortable and so wonderful, you feel at home in their house because they spared no expense. They thought about you the entire time as they welcomed you into their home. That is exactly what Jesus has done for us. That is how gracious this invitation is. So mind your hearts. Be uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable with all of the ways your hearts make excuses. Mark them and avoid them. Turn away from them. Repent of them. Acknowledge that the excuses you make in your hearts for not listening to Jesus, for not hearing his word gladly, for going your own way, those excuses do not fool anyone except you. They don't fool God. They don't even fool the people around you. They really only fool yourself. And so, get rid of them. Repent. Call them what they are, the desires of your sinful flesh. And in your repentance, receive again the forgiveness of God. This is what he has come to do. He has come to forgive those who have rejected his invitation. To once again extend his gracious invitation. To say, look, you didn't hear me before, but hear me now. You wouldn't come before, but come now. Eat and drink and rejoice in all of my gifts. 
Mind your hearts, but above all else, mind this. The love of God poured out for you in Christ Jesus. It may seem at times to people, and the world thinks this way, that God would rather be separate from us, like a parent who is kind of grumpy with his children. Look, would you just go away? I don't want anything to do with you. That's not how God is, and it's never how he was. He wants us near to him, above all else. Hear his invitation and rejoice that you have such a wonderful, loving, heavenly Father. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.